We have another live show for you guys. We're coming back to New York City because I'm back in town. We put something together for May 15th. We're back at Sesh Comedy. Show starts at 7.30. Doors open at 7 p.m. I'm so excited. We loved Sesh when we were there the last time. I'm pumped to be able to do another show back in New York so soon. So Wednesday, May 15th. For tickets, head to our website at findingmrheight.com slash live. That's findingmrheight.com slash live. You can get your tickets right there. That ticket link will be up as you are hearing this announcement. And the venue is BYOB. So if you want a drink, bring a drink. If you like a Diet Coke, bring a Diet Coke. And we're going to hang out afterwards. We can say hello to everybody. Hope to see you all there. See you there. Allie, you play like um, sports? Yeah, I, play ball, I play volleyball, yeah. That sounds. That was a really lame way of asking I that really, question. But you play like, I really like sports. That was really funny. You play sports? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host, Rourke. Rourke, how are you? So this is going to be a funny update because this is the first time where we have recorded where I am actively annoyed at the classmate. Oh, I love (laughs) this. Okay, so get this. So um, he was – he had mentioned that a friend of his wanted to do a double date. Uh I said, great. Yeah. He scheduled it for tonight during our okay. recording time. No, you can't do that. Correct. And I don't expect him to put in his calendar when we're recording. Like that's fine. You know, no, but doesn't... we do record at this time every Sunday. Yes, we do. This is not a this is not a different time. Okay, this is not new. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, so there's that. Um but you know, he doesn't need to know my whereabouts at all times. That's fine. So I texted in response, yes. Allie and I are recording. Can we make it this time? And I, I like pushed the time frame about like forty five minutes to an hour because like he technically like if I could teleport I could make it. The problem is the commute. Yeah, like we will be off recording. I think by the time this would start, whatever. Right, but it, yeah. And but so I said, like, does not exist. So you must factor in a commute. Exactly. So I said, you know, we are recording. Can we do this time instead? He responds. Darn, I can't do that time. I have a second dinner with another friend at 7.30. He double booked himself for your date night? Yes. What? Yes. And so, like, it's a very perfect example of a people-pleasing behavior where he had two friends. Both, one wanted to have a double date and one wanted to have dinner with him. And he did not want to say no to either. And so he didn't. And he, like, thought he could make these machinations, like, work. And it's like... Buddy, everything is now worse because you're now having to cancel on one of them an hour before the event. Yeah. And like I'm an- I'm also annoyed because like it's your prerogative if you want to eat two dinners. Have as much dinner as you fucking want. But don't <laughs> like do it when we have plans. Like don't involve me in this insanity. Right. Because now also not that he would be purposely positioning it this way. But like ostensibly you're the reason why if he's going to cancel the double date – or push it. You're the reason why. Even though it is not actually your fault because, like, he didn't check if this time worked in the first place. Like, yep. that's – I would be annoyed about that. Yeah. So I'm 
I'm annoyed. And we spoke very, he's involved in something right now. And so I tried to like call him to coordinate. He didn't answer. He called me back like 10 minutes later. And so I said, like, Allie and I are recording at five and I'm going to be in communicative during that time. So yeah. you need to decide what dinner you're canceling. I don't care. Let tech, let me know. And he's the, the thing that he's involved in. So what we couldn't talk for long it, it's going to end at like 5.15. And so he's like, okay, great. Like, I'll just like text you when I leave here. And I'm like, no, no. I just said I'm recording at five and will not be able to communicate with you during that time. Right. Like, feel free to text me. You won't receive a response. Exactly. Like I, I, <laughs> I will glance down at my phone, but I am not going to, I, I'm not going to be able to answer a call. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so is this is fun. Anyway, um, and so, like, for right now, I'm just trying to triage the fucking plan. I'm not dealing with the, like, hey, this felt very frustrating to me. I will have yeah. to deal with that piece <laughs> later. Yeah. Well, we are both in, hey, this felt very frustrating to me headspaces right now. Exactly. I know. This is like a, this is like a, hangry is the wrong word because I'm not hungry, but like we're I'm, in a, this is a hangry podcast. Yes. I'm not hungry at all, but I am fucking mad. <laughs> Has nothing to do with a dude. Um, so uh, this is like a real time update because this has all been happening within the last hour. So I went on, which I will update on uh, after this. I went on my fourth date with the three Pete last night. Amazing. Yeah. It was super fun. Um, I'll talk more about it in a bit, but we went to this beer bar called Covenhoven, which is in Crown Heights. <laughs> and I'm, I'm making that emphasis because it will become important later. It's in this neighborhood of Brooklyn called Crown Heights. Okay. And... I have been trying when I'm posting these date updates to like say where I'm going, film a little bit of the inside of it, tag them if they have whatever social media platform I'm on, mm -hmm. like tell people about these places. And like, yeah. you know, in addition to just updating about my dating life, like try to actually offer some value. Because I think people also often are looking for what's a fun date spot. Yes. Yeah, totally. Great. Yes, exactly. So like Covenhoven is an awesome beer bar in Crown Heights and they also – have board games there. We brought our own as well, but we hmm. picked them because New we meaning knew that's... to BYOB. Yeah, he said that's really funny. He said the same thing. Oh my god. He said BYOG. <laughs> yeah. Um so we picked we purposely picked although we ended up playing one of their games, we purposely picked a bar with games because they wouldn't care that we had games. Love. Yep, makes sense. So, but I brought Bananagrams and Trivial Pursuit. Great picks. Full support. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I actually bought the Bananagrams yesterday. It's been I've been meaning to buy another set for, gosh, maybe three years. I don't know. Did you lose yours? Yeah. Oh. I Because I, they're so portable and it's great that they're easy to take places, but it also means that I, you can leave them. Yes, 100%. I think I have one in like – I think I have one in like a beach bag somewhere. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So anywho. So I – before I post about a place, I always go on their website to be like, how do they position themselves? Do they call themselves a beer bar? Is it a beer garden? Is it a cocktail lounge? Is it, you know, mm -hmm. we went to a Korean tapas place on our third date. Like, I want to make sure I get these things right. Yeah. And so I had gone to the Covenhoven website and saw that they positioned themselves as a beer bar in Crown Heights. Okay. Which is exactly what I knew them as. So I said that. So somebody commented and said, Prospect Heights, not Crown Heights. That was the that was the whole comment about my date. Okay. Video. Like also like, first of all, oh my god, this bar right. looks so cute. I just googled it. I want to come. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. 
Um, and they have great cider also for your enjoyment. Love. Um, so, for, yeah, first of all, not the point of the video. It, truly. Second of all, not only does the website of the bar say it's in Crown Heights, but every Googleable, if you'll allow me to use that word, result indicates that it is squarely within the Crown Heights neighborhood. There's a, a street called Washington Avenue, and everybody that I could find except this one website that this commenter provided agrees that that is what delineates Prospect Heights from Crown Heights. None of this really matters. This is not the reason I'm angry. The reason I'm angry is because this commenter did what I think a lot of manipulative people do in arguments mm-hmm. where they they said something incredibly escalating to the conversation. So their original comment said, Prospect Heights, not Crown Heights. I okay. wrote back, nope, Crown Heights. This comment wasn't very helpful. And which the commenter called condescending. I don't think that's condescending. I just think it's just direct. Like it's not Fair. like I was like, if I had said this comment was super helpful, thank you, that would have been condescending. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fine line, I think. Yes. I think this person also was the, the I I saw your story and so I she was reading things through a lens at that point. Uh, yes, but that was my first reply to her though. Yeah. That true. literally was the very first thing I said. So anyway, so I, none of still not to the reason I'm mad. So I said that they then wrote back and went on a diatribe about how I'll never find a man and this is why I'm single because I can't admit I'm wrong. And so they took it from a zip code argument, not even an argument, a conversation about neighborhoods to like a personal attack about the reason I'm not in a relationship. Uh, Absurd. Which obviously I don't lend any credence to that argument, but like- This person is very clearly the escalator here. Yes. And yet their narrative thereafter was that I – they literally said to me and I quote, you could have de-escalated and you chose not to. Mm -hmm. And something that really pisses me off is when somebody escalates something and then blames you for matching their level of escalation. That's very and unfair. Honestly, I don't even think I matched her level of ex- escalation because I never got personal about it at all. I just continued to say like, no, no, it is Crown Heights. <laughs> yeah. And why are you gatekeeping Brooklyn? And did you found Brooklyn? And like, you and, know. And, and, and also who cares? Who it's cares? Not like, it, like the person who wants to go to this bar is going to find it. They're going to find it. And they're going to find it better using the neighborhood that the bar themselves says they're in. But, like, that doesn't fucking matter. But, like, It'd be one thing if you were, like, in Alaska. And it's like, oh, Allie, sorry, it's in Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Or even if I'd said Manhattan or something, like, wildly off. Prospect Heights and Crown Heights are right next to each other. The area that this bar is in is a little bit fuzzy, although most people agree it's Crown Heights. But like mm-hmm. like you said, they're going to find the bar. Yeah. They're close enough that nobody is going to see me say Crown Heights and think, oh, well, I wanted a bar that was in Prospect Heights, so never mind. Right. So Absurd. like not only did it not matter, but like they used that manipulation technique that I fucking hate that's just like now I'm responsible. Like I was the only one responsible for de-escalation in their mind. Right. No, that's very unfair that you can't do yeah. that. Yeah. And I hate that. And like that is something that I, I have I have what I like to call a long fuse but a quick trigger. Yeah. I've heard you say that before and I like that analogy. 
So what I mean by that is that like I don't I don't get mad at the drop of a hat, but like I when I get mad, I get mad. Mm-hmm. And so like it it does it takes me a bit to get there, but like I will get there immediately. Like there's no in between. There's no building and you won't see it. Oh shit. I'm scared. So like <laughs> because I well just because like I'm like trying not to. Right. Like I like know I know that about myself. I know I have a quick trigger. I know that I will go from zero to a hundred. Yeah. When I'm mad. And so I try not to get to a hundred. I try to stay at zero. Yeah. And so like when I so that's why you won't see it because like I'm purposely trying not for it not to happen. So all this to say that if somebody comes at me, I'm coming at them more like more often than not. Sure. And like this isn't this isn't the best example of that because it's like a random stranger in my comments and I didn't come at them. Yeah. But like it just pisses me off when like somebody starts a fight, I just react to the fight that they've started and now it's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. That's really really frustrating. It's right. and like I this is a little bit different, but an ex of mine would often start a fight, get me very riled up, and he would stay very calm and then would tell me that, like, don't forget that the calmer person always wins the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the listeners could see my face right now, I'm I'm like so I'm about to be angry. I'm about to go to 100 just based off of that <laughs> secondhand secondhand story. Oh. Yeah, that was it was crazy. It's like a similar vibe or feeling that I get to when someone tells me to relax. Yeah, totally. Like that is not the way to get me to relax. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so that happened. Um. And but the date was really fun. We played board games, and I won every single one. <laughs> Oh hell yeah! <laughs> he hadn't, he's never played Scrabble or any oh thing like that before. So like, which surprised me. I feel like Bananagrams maybe like that's a specific game, but I f- to never have played anything like a Scrabble type game felt surprising to me. Yeah, I agree with you. That is surprising, and that is a game that I think your brain has to get in a bit of a groove with it. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. I yeah. will say the classmate and I have found a very fun game recently. It's called Sushi Go. Oh, it's, I have that game. Oh, it's so fun. It's a great like two person game. game. Yeah. Yeah, I have it. Um, I think it was like a stocking stuffer my mom gave me once. Um, yeah, we've been playing a lot of that recently. Yeah. So so he also, in addition to like your I think you're right. I think your brain has to be kind of like clicked into that level of game. But he also I didn't realize I had to explain the rules because not the rules specifically of Bananagram, but but like the rules of Scrabble. Right. Like, the fact that, like, if two letters are next to each other, they have to form a word. Right. Like, he thought that he could do words like – like, I was looking at his board and I had won, but I was still looking at his board being like, wait, what are all what are all those yeah, words? And you he, can't do that. <laughs> he had thought – he was like, oh, well, the words go, go vertically. Like, he didn't realize that if there are two vertical words next to Oops. each other, that all of the letters that are next to each other also have to make horizontal words. Right. He right. also thought you could you could write upside down. Oh, so he thought it was like a word search. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which like I guess there's like no reason – like it seems crazy that he thought that, but like there's no re- – if you've never sure. played why, the game. If you were writing like, your own rules, why not? I could see that. Why kind of, not? Like, okay. Yeah, you could go upside – because I, I looked and I was go like – diagonal, what's like, baby. What's like exo-fork? Like what's that? And he was like, oh, well, it's obviously this w- word that was just written backwards. That's hilarious. So – 
yeah, so Bananagrams was not great for him. But then Trivial Pursuit, I had this like epic comeback. This game, I've had this game since I was a child. It was made in the 80s. Oh, and wow. So, so the trivia in it is dating. Yeah. In addition to being really hard, like it would be hard trivia even if it were modern. It's very obscure. But in addition to that, you have to like put your mind into the this is trivia from 30 years ago place. Mm-hmm. And like the Soviet Union could be an answer. Right. That's a good point. So, or like he was really pissed because he was on the sports and leisure pie square. And the question was, who is the NHL's all time leading scorer? And he said Wayne Gretzky, but Wayne Gretzky hadn't started playing yet when the game came out. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, he's very correct. <sighs> he's right. But, yeah. But <laughs> bad that's time. That's all the card says. <laughs> yeah. Shit. That's very difficult. Yeah. So, um, and then we played Battleship. Um, it was really fun. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it was good to see him, like, be a little competitive and, like, you know, I like – I actually – although I do really like Bananagrams, I preferred Trivial Pursuit and Battleship because you don't speak in Bananagrams. You can't talk in Bananagrams. It's, like, no. so distracting to to have a conversation over that game. Yeah. So, like, I actually – for those listening, I would not recommend Bananagrams as an early in the game date activity Agreed. because you can't talk to the other person at all. Yeah. Very versus great. like Trivial Pursuit, we would like have side conversations and like, you know, laugh about the answer, you know, um, and then Battleship you, you could do with your, you know, you could do while you're asleep. Yeah. We've, um, we also really like Sequence. As oh, a yeah. I haven't, I haven't played that in a long time. Love Sequence. Um, yeah. So it was really fun. I'm very tired today because I also forgot that I had committed to play volleyball at 11 this morning. Um, oh, boy. So just a little dream. Looking forward to sleep. Very good. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get you to bed at a reasonable hour. Yes. Um, but one other update that I wanted to sort of give, but also just like get your perspective on, and this yeah, is something that I also excited. asked the followers for. So I had been talking to a guy on Bumble at this point like two weeks ago, and he had asked me, "Do you are you free to go out next week? And I think at the time it was like a Tuesday or something, maybe a Monday or a Tuesday. I assumed he meant like one week from now, that week, right? Like if it's Monday and I say next week. Yeah. You think the next week. The next week, right? Like yeah. the the next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I had said, yes, I'm free. Like, I, yeah, like I'm pretty free. Like, you know, what are you thinking? And he said, how about Thursday? And he meant like Thursday of this week. So I was like, oh, Sorry, I thought you meant next week, the thing you said. Um, uh, I didn't say that part. That was just yeah. my, me editorializing. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, sorry, I thought you meant next week. I'm not actually free this week. And so then he said, okay, how about next Tuesday at 8? Great. I said, yeah, absolutely, that works. He didn't reply. Would you oh. in that scenario have blocked your time for Tuesday at 8? I think – I, I think I might have as an initial matter and just said, like, I'm going to pencil this in and then followed up. But, like, like if – so that almost becomes a thing of, like, do I – I think if something else came my way, I would then circle back with him and say – this to me, uh, if the threshold question is, like, do I have a confirmed date on Tuesday? The answer is no, 
to me. Yeah, right. And, and that's, so, what, that's the question that I asked on Instagram and almost everybody said no. But like I think there's also like a little bit more of a nuanced thing, which I think you're about to get into. Yeah, which is that like if something else came my way, I would say I got to check if something's happening because I've maybe committed. But like I wouldn't have directly said – like if you had said – Rourke, let's go to dinner on Tuesday. I don't think I would have definitively said, no, I'm busy. I would have said, like, I think I have to check on this and then circled back. And, like, it, there's one more step I think that needs to happen, either it, like, by double texting, I guess, on my side, by saying, like, hey, confirming this is still happening, or him saying, like, amazing, let's lock it in. Yeah. And I think, so I did not, I feel that he, was required to write back and say like anything great yeah okay like i don't th- like i think it would be very weird if i texted you and said hey Rourke, do you want to have dinner next tuesday at eight and you said yeah let's do it and then i didn't reply i agree with you i think i would like that's that would be weird yes but then i think though that i would have probably said and this might be the difference between friends and dating too i, I would have probably is. immediately responded to you and said back awesome where do you want to go yes yes and that i think there is a huge difference there yeah but like in this context i did not put it in my calendar because he didn't reply to me yeah. so like but i didn't i didn't purposefully not put it in my calendar i wrote back great yeah and then typically what would happen is that he would reply saying something and then I would be like, okay, yes, this is confirmed and then I would put it in my calendar. So it's not like I was thinking to myself like, oh, he didn't reply. I'm not going to book my time. I actually forgot about it because he never replied and I forgot that the exchange happened until we got to Tuesday and he followed up about where we should go. Yeah. Also, the same day follow-up makes it tough where it's like if he had followed up, I think on like Sunday, you would have been like, oh, yes. Done. Yes. That would have been very different. Yeah. Yeah. The same day follow-up was too soon at that point. I didn't have plans, but I was not prepared to go do anything. Yeah. Like it was like close to when work was over already when he messaged me. Then he like asked if I wanted to reschedule and I said – it just I just kind of let it fizzle because at that I actually just kind of was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. At that juncture, it's like, eh, this, this might be a little too hard. Yeah. So, so that was my update for the week. I am well, – by being vague about confirmation is how you wind up in the situation that the classmate are, and I are in on this very day. So there you go. Confirm it your all, dates, people. It all comes full circle. Um, that is one thing that I really like about the three-peat is how good he is at like setting dates, making plans, and confirming them, letting me know when he's like leaving for the date. Yeah. That's like really making nice. it very clear that he's going, he's excited, we're confirmed. Yeah. Um I think something that's going to be interesting to navigate is my own – this is the furthest that I've ever made it, quote unquote, with somebody while having this account. Yes. In this – at this scale. I I had this account technically when I was dating the Oyster, but it was a much different situation of mostly friends friends of friends, like a couple thousand people. I am now – it's it's new. So it's new new territory. I have – I tried to combine uncharted waters and new territory there just now. It's new for me. I'm trying to navigate because I'm already getting questions about like, oh, well, when do you commit? Like how many dates before you decide to be exclusive? Like how like and I am nowhere near that. Mhm. And so I that it's just new. 
new new yeah. territory that I'm navigating here. I'm excited. I'm, what a journey. So excited. It'll – yeah, it'll be a journey. And I think – I don't know all of the reasons why – I don't know that I need to be or that I should be closer to feeling like I want to be exclusive with him after five dates. I, I don't think so. I feel like it's also only been two weeks. Yeah, that's true. Because we went on a Sunday. Yeah, it's been two weeks. Mm-hmm. So like thinking about that from an objective perspective, I also want to be super careful not to get myself into a situation like I did with the oyster where I was committing too soon and then kind of like letting it snowball into something that I didn't end up didn't end up working for me, like before I knew who he was as a person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like I definitely did not feel like I want like I didn't feel ready or like I wanted that with trivia. Mm-hmm. And so I and we had been on a fair amount of dates at that point, and yeah. I just like I I couldn't I just wasn't sure. Yeah, exactly. So. So we shall see. But for today, I am super excited to welcome our guest, Kirsty Taylor, onto the pod. Yes, I'm super excited about this. I think this is going to be really fun. She seems great just from the like screenshots of your uh, the two of you going back and forth on Instagram DMs. I'm really excited. She seems super fun. Yeah, she is. So we entered her a little bit last week, um, but just as a reminder, and we'll talk to her about this too, but Kirsty is a dating and relationship author. She writes for a lot of different um, online publications, and she wrote a book called What I Wish I Knew About Love, which I read um, when it came out a few months ago. It's awesome. And one of the things that she talks a lot about, she does workshops about it, is attachment style, specifically anxious attachment is her specialty. And so I'm very excited to talk to her about that. Let's bring her on. So I've been talking a bunch about how I'm trying to order in less. And part of that is that I'm cooking at home more, but when I don't have time to cook, which is more often than not, I have really still been loving Factors meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah. And they have so many options too. Every week, their menu, they have 35 options that you can pick from. So you can find whatever it is that you're looking for. It's so easy. It's no fuss and no mess. It's so great. And I've also been really enjoying their add-ons that they have. So they have breakfast. They have on-the-go lunches if you don't work from home. I've been ordering their snacks recently to have like a little pick-me-up in the afternoon. And I've really been enjoying that. Yeah. And they also are celebrating Earth Day all month. You can look for their Earth Month Eats badge on their menu. And that will be meals that have the lowest carbon footprint. So shout out to Factor for that one. That's pretty cool. So you can head to factormeals.com slash FMH50 and use code FMH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code FMH50 at factormeals.com slash FMH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Let's do it. Are back with Kirsty. Hi, Kirsty. We're so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be on. This is amazing. And we've we're talking for the first time. In, I know. I was saying it's so crazy. I was saying to Rook that like you're one of the first people that I met like in the dating social media space when I first started finding Mr. Hyde. It's like wild to me that we're here. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's you were one of the first people I met on TikTok. I think you were like one of the first people I actually talked to through TikTok. So funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember being like, oh my God, like I was like asking you for advice, like, you know, you're um, on here, like how yeah. do you do this? Yeah. 
Wow, it's been almost a year since I start since I started TikTok. I don't think it's been longer for you. It's I was on TikTok in October, actually. No, like yeah. early October of 2020. So yeah. Yeah. Wild ride. Such a wild ride. Well, we're so pumped to have you here. Um, I so we always like to start off, we're gonna talk about attachment styles, but we have a segment that when we have a guest, we like to bring the guest into our segment and it's called Weird or Nah. Love it. And so every week we ask our listeners a random question. Sometimes it's related to the topic. Sometimes like this one, it's not. And we ask, do you think this is weird or not? Cool. So this week's – and I – you may or, may or may not have noticed this, but I hid you from my story for the last 24 hours so that you wouldn't I be love able to see the results. Oh, no. I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. So because Rourke knows that she can't look at my story when I've posted Weird or Not, but I didn't want to put that labor on you, so oh, I just no. hid it. Okay. I get it. <laughs> so the first step. So the, this week's Weird or Not is they have a different kissing style than you do. Hmm. And so the first step is you guys are going to guess what you think the listener said. What was the percentage split, weird or not? Kirsty, do you want to go first or do you want me to put myself out there You go first, Work. Okay. I'm going to think about it. (laughs) That's fair. I'm terrible at this, so you can only you can only improve upon whatever I say. I guarantee it. (laughs) You've actually you've been nailing it recently. I have to say. The, there was that one that was like 98-2 yeah, <laughs> that, that I just so strongly disagree with. Anyway, um, I think this is this – is, this gets to me a little bit as a – is this like how big of kind of like a red flag is it? And like how tenable is this as something you can work on? Mm-hmm. And because I think having a different kissing style can be tricky potentially. And so it's like kind of how different is it? What, how far apart are you? Can you meet in the middle, et cetera? So I'm hoping this, I think this one is actually going to be kind of close to like 50, 50 potentially if people Mm. weigh it that way. And so I'm going to say 40 weird, 60, not weird. I was going to say the opposite. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I'm going to say 60% weird, 40% not. Cause I think that for a lot of people, unless they're like really in touch with their emotions or they're really been doing a lot of work, like they don't realize how much the like physical stuff can be worked on, in my opinion. So I think that it's going to be the 60% not weird and 40% not. So Rourke, you're along the right path. I was actually very proud of our listeners when I saw this split. Because it indicates, like, I totally agree with you, Kirsty. I feel like a lot of people underestimate how much you can work on the physical stuff. And I think mm-hmm. that this split indicates that our listeners know that you can. It was 30% weird and 70% nah. Wow. I- That's very enlightened. <laughs> I love that. Now I feel like I underestimated your your listeners. I love that. They are. Yeah. That's great. Good for yeah. them. I was so proud of them. Um, and so people mentioned like exactly – so most of the people that said it was not weird said exactly what you said, Kirsty. that like you can work on those things. Like some mm-hmm. people said like that's actually fun to kind of like play around with different styles and kind of see, you know, what are you into? What am I into? And talk about mm-hmm. that. The people who thought it was weird, it seemed like they were uncomfortable having that conversation. And thus yeah. it was like too high of a, a hurdle for them to clear. Yeah. I could see that. Um, and I I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but I decided that I wanted to. 
So this is something that I am currently trying to figure out how to address with me and the person that I'm dating. Oh, the different kissing styles. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so yeah. I had the same experience when I first started dating my boyfriend. And just like for me, he was just too much of like too much tongue, a little aggressive for the beginning of our relationship. And I'm pretty sure, because this is the second time I've had this conversation with the different kissing styles. And it's not like I think I'm like the best kisser in the world, (laughs) but at the very least, like let's meet in the middle. So I had this conversation once before, actually with like my high school boyfriend. And um, I think that, you know, there's a fun way to say it. Just be like, okay, like, So I see that you really like to, you know, be more aggressive and use a lot of tongue. Let's try something a little bit softer. Let's try something a little bit different. Like, I just don't, or even just being like, you know, I'm not really into tongue as much. Like, maybe let's lighten it down. I don't know if that's your issue. I I have no idea. That's exactly my issue. Um, (laughs) You fucking nailed it. And Rourke was laughing because she, when I told her about this, Rourke was like, I want all the tongue. (laughs) Yeah, we have a very different um, stance on this. And so I'm like, just like, over here being quiet, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's the thing is like, don't, I feel like whenever you want to bring up something to someone, you don't ever want to shame them and be like, oh, what you do is wrong. It's just like, hey, we right. have different styles. Like, let's try something in the middle. I like what you said about like, let's try maybe a little softer. Because something that I, I don't want to say, I don't like this because I, I don't want it to end up in like a chaste kissing situation where we only like peck each other and like that sounds terrible too. Like I want something a little bit in the middle. So I was kind of struggling with how to phrase it because I don't want it to like ricochet to the other end. Right. Yeah. And I think different moments call for different kisses. The the question is, yeah, it's sort of a question of some form of a baseline, I guess. Yes. So, and I, I really do like kissing him and like, I, I like him and I'm attracted to him. And so it's just, I just want to kind of like, kind of figure this out so I could maybe like it even more. I would say have the conversation sooner rather than later. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, I need to date someone forever to bring up something like that. No, it's like, just mention it now rather than it be this awkward thing that's just going to build up. It is like, it is a little bit of an awkward conversation, but so are a lot of conversations you have in relationships. So it's like, so why true. not just get this one out of the way and start enjoying making out more? Yeah, because I love making out. I want, I want to do it. Yeah. But like, I also, I've already had a couple like boundary setting conversations with him that he has taken extremely well, where he has actually thanked me for setting okay. a boundary. Like, that's awesome. A like quick example is that he he'd use the phrase humble brag to me a few times, like about things that I'd said. Like he'd be like, Oh, humble brag, like I have a car. And he had mm-hmm. asked me, like, he asked me why my friend and I weren't taking the train to Philly. And I said, Oh, I, I have a car, so we're driving. And he was like, Oh, humble brag. No, you asked why I'm not taking the train. And I yeah. I just I just answered. I you. answered without lying or yeah. obfuscating it. <laughs> right. I just like gave you a fact. But he then said it one other time in reference to something else. And so I said to him, I was like, hey, you know, that's that's the second time that you've said that. And it it kind of hurts my feelings. It makes you – it makes me think like you think I'm pretentious. That is – well said. So healthy. I love <laughs> that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but my – I was really 
happy with his response where he was like, I'm so sorry. I won't say that again. Thank you for letting me know. I really, I know that could have been uncomfortable for you. And I'm really happy that you felt comfortable saying it to me. Yeah. That sounds very secure. <laughs> he, uh, he, he really gives secure vibes. Um, <laughs> with that, what a fantastic transition. Um, with that, let's talk attachment styles. Amazing. So in our part one last week, um, which you've heard, Kirsty, we kind of did the whole, you know, what is attachment? What is anxious? What is avoidant? What is secure? Kind of gave everybody a baseline knowledge for what we're talking about. And I would, you know, as we talk, love to get your perspective too, of course. But no. going into this conversation, everybody kind of is on the same page, which should be should be good for the listeners. Um, but the first thing I was curious to ask you about is you in your book and in your content, you get into kind of where you think your anxious attachment style came from and where attachment styles come from in general. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that from your perspective. Yeah. So I talk a lot in my book about how I didn't have, I wouldn't say my parents were not neglectful. My parents were not bad parents, but we just weren't connected. And that's something like I, I still try to figure out to this day, you know, like what exactly like what happened and why we're so disconnected. But like I wasn't close. I'm not close at all with my brother. Um, I wasn't emotionally close with my dad. And so I felt like and this isn't something I realized until, you know, a decade of toxic dating later <laughs> that I needed this reassurance from men and all the men that I dated. And I was so scared of losing that connection with someone. It kind of clicked for me and I can get more into this later, but I kind of clicked for me that I was like, oh, wow, like that, the lack of male uh, relationship that I had with, that I didn't have with my brother and my dad, I'm trying to make up for it in my love life. Like I'm trying to cling and get reassurance from these men and everything. And hence why I have an anxious attachment cell or lean to more anxious and I'm sure you talked about this in the first episode, but yeah, that's where that's where how attachment theory first came from because John Bowlby, the guy that you know started attachment theory and everything, started recognizing that children would act differently with their parents based on like this, the way that their parents raised them and separation anxiety, yada yada. So a really great place to start to really uncover why you have an attachment style that you do is your childhood, but it's not necessarily the only place. But for me, it's pretty clear indicator that was probably my childhood. Yeah. I like that's so well said. And I think that starting to think about where might this come from is mm -hmm. really helpful. And Rook and I talked about this last week, but for for me, it also comes from my childhood, I, I think at least it, and my therapist agrees, but not from my parents, but from my friends. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, like, any like traumatic relationship and relationship, I love using relationship because relationship isn't just romantic. We always think relationship, romantic, like friendship is a relationship. Your boss is a relationship. Yeah. Like those matters when it's a, tra a traumatic one or something happens, which I'm not sure if that's what happened with you, but. Yeah, I think I just. I felt – and I I want to do an episode on friendships and talk more about this, but I, I felt very unstable in my friendships yeah. throughout middle school and high school and honestly into college too. And I think that – and I was kind of a late bloomer from a dating perspective. So like I didn't really start dating until late high school, mostly mm -hmm. college. So I yeah. feel like there was a lot going on in the middle school, high school time period for me that kind of formed that yeah. anxiety in me. High school, middle school friendships can be brutal. 
Oof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, that's yeah. Oof is is my yeah, is my whole opinion. Other, whole other whole other pod. pod. Whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Whole but, and and work for you there was like a friendship derivation too, right? Yeah, I think that for me a big thing is not exactly like which relationship sort of satisfied my like need for connection or care. It was more about like so I'm an only child and I therefore not until college was in a place where I had to like set boundaries with peers. Mm. I was just used to being around adults and adults that I had to listen to and like follow the rules of. And so I had to do like a lot of learning in college and then after college in all types of relationships about like, okay, how do I say what I need without either kind of like bailing, like cutting the person out, you know, because I I can lean kind of avoidant. Right. Um, and I think the like only child independence is a part of that too, where I'm like, I am, I can amuse myself fully. I do not need you. <laughs> and so I, I think for me, it was a lot, it, it's like a lot of that where it's like, I had to learn some skills later. And I probably, I didn't really start dating, frankly, until I moved to New York after college. I had one okay quote-unquote relationship in college but like it was so minimal and like ridiculous interesting um yeah i actually didn't have any boyfriends in college i had a boyfriend in high school but i didn't like him very much so i think i thought (laughs) i was like supposed to have one it's that is so interesting that you both say that since al you said you're like fearful avoidant you know i'm anxious oh okay i mean not yeah i mean fear uh okay yeah okay um my yeah, since I was basically like sixteen, I was always like in a relationship, and I'm just like, oh, there's the anxiousness. I just had to be in one relationship after the next, and sometimes I wish I hadn't dated till college because it just, yeah, those high school relationships weren't <laughs> weren't much. Yeah, well, I think that something that fueled my anxiety was that I hadn't found anybody that wanted to date me. That the, the, that's my own mm. the way. I, that's how I saw it. Yeah. So I didn't see it as like, oh, I'm great on my own. I'm like learning about myself. I'm doing my own thing. I saw it as nobody wants to date me or nobody that I want to date wants to date me. Like the confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, here it is. Exactly. Um, But one of the things that I loved that you've said, Kirsty, is that you felt relieved when you discovered your attachment style because I felt the same way. Like I felt like it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm anxious. It felt more like an unlock where I thought like, oh, this is another tool that I can use to help myself. Yeah. I always think, yeah, how you how you just word it was really, really good. And also just reading someone that puts to words what you're feeling, but like you've never put to words yourself or you've never talked to someone about, you're just like, whoa. And seeing it, I don't know if you... I, I hear so many people be like, I read the book Attached and it was like yeah. my life, my my eyes opened up to life. Um, but when you read it and just in a list of like all these behaviors and you're like, wow, they just listed out my entire personality in a book. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was um, the same for me. I just felt very seen, I guess. And it was like, wow, if they can put the, to words what I'm feeling and experiencing, like there's something I can do to feel differently and like feel more secure. Yeah. Rourke, how did you feel when you first 
kind of sort of learning about attachment theory and started to see some of that in yourself? I mean, I think I have always my th- and um jumping ahead a little bit, I know something a listener had a question about was can you sort of like morph among them and can mm-hmm. different relationships bring out different types of attachment? And so cuz I think I think pretty much my entire dating life, my base has been secure. And then depending on who I'm in a relationship with, I can kind of ebb and flow and develop unhealthy behaviors in kind of response to them. Like I think my ex that we call on the podcast PowerPoint made me anxious. But then then a guy that I dated after that that we call the student was – just like played into every single avoidant thing where whenever I tell a story about what I was going through or thinking, Allie says, are you my ex-boyfriend? Because I (laughs) like, like he would want to come over on a Friday night and stay the whole weekend and do everything with me. And I was like, when are you fucking leaving? Oh, Um, you were the avoidant one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And um, so like, I've definitely been, both, for sure, in a particular relationship context. And I think so for me, what learning the language of attachment style has meant to me is I can then realize when I'm falling into something less healthy, where I'm like, oh, this is really activating these patterns for me. What Mm -hmm. is it about this relationship that is making me this person that I'm like not I'm not like comfortable in this, in this mental process. And so I think that's what it's really done for me. Which I think is such a healthy way to look at it because in a sense it is just a framework to try and help you understand yourself and like work on certain behaviors and coping mechanisms that aren't helping you. So does it matter if in one relationship you're acting this way and the other you're, you're acting this way? Like if you're addressing them each within the different frameworks, then yeah. Yeah. And I think this ties, Oh, sorry, Ali, go ahead. I was going to say that every time Rourke tells a story about the student, I get like really horrific flashbacks to this ex that we call the aspiring sober vegan who – The aspiring what? uh, The aspiring sober vegan. When he broke up with me, he told me it was because he wanted to be vegan and sober and move to Ohio, but he hasn't done any of those things. So he's an aspiring Uh sober vegan. Love it. so, but ASV used to get so anxious or I so avoidant, I suppose, when I would overstay my welcome, quote unquote. We were long distance. And like one time I missed my bus, which was both of our faults. And he was so mad at me because I had to be there for an extra few hours. <gasps> That's horrible. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. And I know we're going to talk about this more. I say that's horrible. And I definitely want to talk about how avoidant people get a bad rep. That is a good, good subject. So I take back what I said. I just feel horrible for you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I would would say that his his emotion that he felt uncomfortable that I was there longer unexpectedly was not horrible. The way that he treated me as a result of it was pretty horrible. Like that I could categorically say like, yeah, it was bad. Like he yelled at me for something that was not my fault. Um, But I mean, let's talk about that shifting attachment style thing because we got a lot of listener questions on this. Mm -hmm. So somebody said, I'm typically avoidant, but feeling anxious with a new person I'm dating. Do you have any advice? Yeah, I'd say in that situation, I would really try to understand what's happening 
with the person you're dating, what's different. And if there's any like red flags you're ignoring or something that's triggering something about them that's triggering you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, oh, there's a really great, I'm 90% sure it comes from attached, but there's a great quote, which is you are as needy as your unmet need. It does come from attached. We talked about that last week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you are with someone who, you know, you're used to regular communication, even if the regular communication makes me want to run for the hills, but you're used to regular communication, you're, you're used to um, emotional intimacy or whatever, and they're not meeting that, like, of course, you're going to be triggered and wanting it and feeling more needy than an average or than you did before. Um, So yeah, my advice would be just like, take inventory of the relationship. What is working for you? What isn't like, what is there any red flags you're not looking at? What do you feel in those moments that you feel more anxious and what triggered them? Because with um, anxious attachment, when someone is activated and their attachment system is activated and the behaviors you engage in are called protest behaviors. And so the protest behaviors could be anything from like, you know, obsessing over like reading over your texts, like waiting for them to call you back, like overthinking things, trying to text them a bunch. An extreme one would be like calling them over and over again. So when you start to engage in those protest behaviors, be like, what caused that and from my partner? And is that a healthy behavior? Is it me just being triggered or is there something that like they're doing that's like not good mm-hmm. and I'm ignoring? Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much. Yeah, I've experienced the opposite that kind of ties into something else somebody asked. So as I've said, I'm typically anxious, but Mm -hmm. I have experienced avoidance when I'm dating someone. And something that's been tough for me is somebody else asked, how do I discern between my avoidant attachment style versus actual bad vibes about someone? Yeah, that's a good one. And that's Uh, been hard for me to like – I'm usually anxious. So like if I'm feeling avoidant, is, is it because I don't like him? I mean, so for me, and I was just thinking about this when I was preparing for this and thinking about everything. Also, your cat just randomly jumping in is making me like smile a bunch. I love it. Um, he, he is the star of the show. Let's not get it twisted. Truly. <laughs> I When I first started dating my current boyfriend who's very very secure very healthy and luckily like we were friends before so I'm 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 in a very I was in a great situation where I could be like working on myself and then also like be very sure that the person I was investing in is a good person because I knew him um but he would do things like regularly text me and I'd be like oh that's gross like no actually we dated for three dates and I was and then I I ended it and I was like I just want to be friends like let's go back to being friends really? and then six months later we started dating again oh yeah wow um, yeah so I was so off put by his really healthy behaviors um and I guess I never really occurred to me I was like wow that was very like avoidant of me and that's probably the only time in my life that I've really experienced like avoidant behaviors and I was because he was really the first person to like show me regular interest. So yeah, is it so is it that someone's someone's, you know, a bad person or is it that it's just like your avoidance um happening? I think what's really let me word this the right way. A really good way to determine something is deciding when you're not triggered, deciding when you're kind of just level-headed and able to take inventory of things and be like 
on paper, do I think this person's like a good person? Is it someone I'm interested in? Do I feel a connection with them? Um, or is it that something else is coming up for me? Like something about, you know, someone regularly texting me is making me freak out. Someone who is different than someone else, than the people I've normally dated is making me freak out. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's, it honestly is the same logic in, you know, business alley that I'm sure is advice we've all been given that like never send an email to somebody when you're upset, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just like wait until you're kind of in a neutral state to think, think through that stuff and make a decision then. Right. I should, and I said I that as, that I always give that for... <laughs> Wait, what was that? I said I should take that advice when I'm replying to TikTok comments. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Oh, gosh. I've deleted, I've deleted a lot of my responses before. I'm like, eh, I'm mm-hmm. taking that one back. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um. I always give that advice to people, especially with anxiety, because people are always like, how do I tell if it's my anxiety or my gut, my um, my instincts? And I think it's just the same thing with avoidance. It's just like, how can you tell if it's your fears coming in or how can you tell if they're actually a bad person? And I think just any making any decision when you're like triggered is going to be really hard to see things clearly. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, dating's vulnerable. Sometimes you will miss, you will miss signs. And that's just part of, you know, risking it for love. Do, yeah. do you think it can even drill down to, like, you can be anxious or avoidant on certain traits? Like, this might be too specific, but I something I was talking to with my therapist recently is the ex that made me quite anxious. One of the things I could never, he was always late. He, um, mm-hmm. like, and to, like, Thanksgiving with my family, you know, Mm -hmm. not just like a random thing that here or there doesn't matter. Like stuff where I was like, this is important. You need to be there. He made very difficult. And like, if he was coming with me to a wedding, I truly wouldn't know if he was coming until he was like physically there. I was like talking about that. My, the guy that I'm currently dating is like perpetually five minutes early to the point where like, sometimes I'm not like ready to go. And he's like, I'm outside. (laughs) Um, And so like very different. And yet there are still some insecurities that I have where my therapist was like, you objectively have like a trust issue on this one front where mm-hmm. you have trouble trusting that people are going to show up when they say they will. Mm-hmm. I am probably anxious about those specific scenarios, whereas I might not be about other ones. Does that make sense? Can you even like drill down attachment to that level of specificity? I mean, again, Attachment attachment theory is just a theory and a framework for like understanding yourself. I think how you just put it is a really great way to like think about it. That yeah, you could be there could be a specific scenario that really I use traumatize it sometimes that's like so out there people can't really relate to it. I don't know. You you had an experience that really just like broke your trust. I don't know if it was the first guy you dated or maybe you think it was something like earlier on in your life. But regardless, you, you you find it hard to trust people. If every if everything else makes you kind of like eh about about like relationships, it makes you like push keep people at a distance. But when it comes to trust, you're like super anxious. Like I think that's a great way of looking at it and being like, I don't have to be just in this like black and white box. Like I'm I'm avoidant or I'm anxious. Like no, you have you can flow through it and it 
given certain scenarios, it could be one versus the other. Yeah. Hmm. That makes sense. I mean, I'm interested in this is something that came up on the podcast last week, and we've sort of hinted at it already that. One of the things that ASV, this guy, said to Allie is that he, after kind of talking through attachment theory with her, I like we said, we don't think she phrased it this way, but he came away with the impression that an anxious person, an avoidant person could never work. Um, yeah. What is what is your take on his hypothesis? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, oh, nope, go. What were we going to say? Well, I was also going to say like, and also like, I think we could, I also want to talk about how would you recommend bringing up attachment styles with somebody? Because I clearly need help in that arena. Well, how did you bring it up? Like, what was the first, like, what was the first sentence you brought up? Can you remember? I honestly don't remember because I didn't know that it was such a thing until he broke up with me. And that was one of the things that he cited when he broke up with me, in addition to the sober vegan thing. He also said, well, it's like you said, I'm a boy, you're anxious. That's the worst thing possible. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I don't remember saying that, but obviously that was what he took away. Yeah. I don't remember where I read this, but when I did, I was like, whoa, that makes so much sense. I think that for the most part, it of course, like if there's two attachment styles that are going to trigger each other like crazy, it's anxious and avoidant. Can it work? Yes. But what matters more than like, oh, I'm anxious, I'm avoidant is having two people that are self-aware and want to work on themselves. Like if you're yeah. just like, I want to work on my attachment style, I'm self-aware, my partner's uh, avoidant and I want to bring this up to him so we can work on things like no matter how much you want him to change, like if he doesn't want to and he doesn't have the self-awareness to make those type of changes and growth in his life or their life, I shouldn't say his because that sounds very gender specific, but, um, and they don't want to change, make the change in their life, then they're, then it's going to be a problem. Like you're always going to be, they're not going to do the work. You're going to be doing most of the yeah. work and that's going to be an issue. And I think that's happens a lot with anxious people trying to help their avoidant partners um, so what matters more is self-awareness. If someone, if you have a partner who's self-aware, if you have a partner who's, you know, values growth in their life, then I think that bringing up attachment styles to them is a great thing. Um, and it could possibly work with an anxious and avoidant partner. Uh, so what you said about bringing it up, I always say, don't ever bring up something that's like, there's an issue here. We have a problem. Let's talk about it. Yeah, or, that was probably my mistake. <laughs> like, or you're the problem. Worse. That's even worse. I always I always tell people, I'm like, you can use my TikTok. You can use this podcast as a fallback. Be like, hey, the other day I was listening to a TikTok or um, Allie and Rourke's podcast, and they were talking about this thing called attachment style. Have you ever heard of it? And just bring it up like that. Be like, I was, I was reading or I found a quiz online and I did mine and I found that I'm anxious. And this is the thing about anxious, yada, yada. You should try it. It's fun. You know, something just like lighthearted, which does that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was like, is that manipulative? I, like if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're generally just trying to bring it up and like talk about it a bit, I say bring it up in a fun way versus there's an issue. There's a problem. Like we need to talk about this because that just puts everyone in a, in a bad defensive mood. Yeah, I don't I wouldn't characterize that as manipulative though because none of those yeah. things that you said are untrue. Like I heard this thing, it resonated with me. Yeah. You probably generally don't know whether your partner knows about it because if you if you've talked about it already, 
if they knew about it, you may have talked about it already, right? So you're mm-hmm. actually asking, have you heard yeah, about exactly. it? The only part you're leaving out is I think I know what your style is. Yeah. Right. Which like, I, I don't, don't think you need that. No, yeah, exactly. No. Or keep it in I your think you can, you can also frame it as like, I learned this about myself. I would love to learn more about you. Like, let's do it together as like a fun couple activity. Oh yeah, that's a good one. There you go. That too. Yeah, I've I've done that quiz with a bunch of boyfriends. Not ASV. He refused. <laughs> I have a lot of people always comment to my comments on TikTok, and they're like, "If I tried this, my boyfriend would just be like, this is dumb. I'm not doing it.'" And if that's the response from someone, I would take that into consideration of whether or not you can grow with this person long term. Yeah, that would yeah. concern me. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> that would that would really concern me. I get those comments so often. I did like a weekly, like a talking about a weekly check-in video. I've done it like twice. And I get so many people being like, my partner would never do this. My partner would call it stupid. My partner would just say it's a, a scheduled fight. And I'm like, whoa. Well. <laughs> right. We have other issues here. We do right? not have time to dig into these. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is very – the classmate and I um, do, like, a weekly affirmation where we, like, say, like, what we – like, one thing we, like, really love about the other person. That it's, is like, very so cheesy, but it's really nice. Cute. I love I that. Because it gives you that. an occasion – yeah, because it gives you an occasion to bring something up that's specific rather than just being, like, hanging up the phone, like, okay, hey, love you, bye. And this – it gives you the chance to be, like – oh, by the way, like this happened this week and it really reminded me that like I love this part about you or something. It's really nice. Yeah. That is so cute. I hope you guys keep <laughs> that up forever. Yes. The three-peat is really good at compliments and I am not that good at compliments. Mm. And it like, it's, I need to step up my game. Like last night he was saying that he like loves how I'm able to wear my hair in so many different ways and it like all looks good. Oh, that's, that's so cute. Compliment. Such also hilarious given did you tell him like all the backstory i no, but like there's like so many debates about whether people think my hair looks better straight or in my, my natural curls and uh, or if a bun is trying or if anyway. a bun is trying too hard yeah 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 what um I'm, yeah we're far afield <laughs> okay very, very far afield yeah apparently i'm single because sometimes i wear my hair in a top knot so have people really said that yes really oh yeah. gosh yeah, apparently cool. I also don't like they're like, oh yeah, you must not try in any other aspect of your life because your hair is in a bun. Oh, they think a bun is like a I'm lazy, I just throw it up type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I must not like put effort Are into these my from relationships. Men? No. No. Women. If I ever put my hair in a bun, it takes like I'm like always like trying to make it look pretty and stuff. Like it's all <laughs> you just throw it up there. I mean, like if I'm like going out on a date or something. I don't yeah. Know. Wow. Okay. Yeah, people are people are yeah. wild. Um, Anyways, bringing yes. us back. Bring bringing okay. us back. We we will always end up far afield at some point on this pod. <laughs> um, but I'd love to talk more about moving towards secure attachment. You know, you mentioned like it's so important that both you and your partner are self aware and open to wanting to work on it. But you know that that can feel overwhelming. I think and and daunting that right. secure people yeah. seem like they just like have it all together and some people are like naturally secure like what the fuck mm-hmm. how so dare I they the, yeah I think the biggest thing because that what you just said is so important sometimes I look at my boyfriend and I'm just like so like nothing you're just always good you're just like <laughs> really good like this all the time I'm like 
I could never like, and I genuinely am like, I don't think I could ever be like that. And that's fine. Like, I think the first step is being like, you know what? It's, it's not always going to be an issue where it's like, I feel so anxious all the time. I feel so like distant from people that like, it's always going to be so draining and so sad, but you can be like, you know what? I do have these like tendencies for me. I'm like, I don't think I'll ever be like a hundred percent secure. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I'd rather manage things rather than try to like reach some unrealistic goal. Like I'm like, I'm a little anxious. That's fine. That's who I am. Like I'll, I'll deal with it. So I first think the first thing is like, you don't shame yourself. Like there's, there's no use in being like, why am I this way? Like what's wrong with me? I actually read something somewhere else that was like, whenever you're like, what's wrong with me? Be like, what happened to me instead? Like, mm. yeah, I really like that. Cause then it's like, Oh, why? Like, why? What's wrong with me? I'm always stalking my social media, my ex's social media. It's like, well, what happened to me? Like, I was really hurt by that breakup. And, you know, I want to to see what they're up to or seek connection or whatever. Anyways, um, so feeling more secure. Do you want me to just go into like straight up tips and tricks and all of that? Yeah. I mean, something I think that that'd I be loved. Great. That, yeah, yeah. And something that I loved that I saw in your book was and I'm going to quote you, so I apologize for quoting you to you, but you said you're in no way at fault for the insecurities you have as an adult, but you're the only person who can make the decision to work on them. Yeah. Yeah. And, so- oh, I loved that. Yeah. And like the the reaction that I have to that is that it reminds me of conversations that I've had with both like current people I'm dating and exes where I've said to them, it, it's honestly similar framework of things happen to you. Yes. Like the world happens to you. And yet it is then our job to take responsibility for how we respond to those things. You can't just like say like, oh, that thing happened. Mm -hmm. I get to behave like this now. And like, no, you are in a relationship with somebody and like your actions then affect them and you have to take responsibility for that fact. And so it's like, I think that can show you the difference between somebody who like, like we've been saying, wants to work on things versus somebody who's like, nope, like tolerate who I am. Yeah. That's like, I always say like, you can be a victim to your life or you can take control because a lot of times people will be like, I am anxious because I dated so many toxic, like emotionally abusive men. And I'm like, okay, but it can be true that those men, what them, those men did to you were really, was really crappy. And that really sucked. But the behaviors that you have today and the choices that you're making, well, one one way that always comes up is that people have dating patterns and they're always like bringing in, there's something about them that brings in these toxic men. And they're like, well, that's not fair. You're victim blaming. Like these men are horrible. I'm like, these men can be horrible, but there can also be something that you're doing and like subconsciously choosing and attracting to yourself that brings these men over and over into your life. And I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? I just like tips, said that. Tips and tricks. Tips and tricks. Tips and too. tricks to yeah. be more secure. So with the so once you decide that you don't want to be a victim to, you know, your attachment style or whatever happens to you in the past, I think that the biggest tip for avoidantly attached people, anxiously attached people, anyone that's insecure, is to have a life outside of dating and not just like have a life. It's like, Oh, you know, like have friends, have hobbies, like see your family, blah, blah, blah. Like find something you're good at. Keep doing it. Create goals in your life. Even if it's, I want to play, be able to 
play a song in the guitar because I don't know how to play guitar or, you know, making goals with work or I want to start a podcast as like a side hustle. Create goals so you can feel proud of yourself because most of the time with like an anxious attachment style, you're trying to seek reassurance from the other person that you're worthy, that you're worthy of love, that you're worthy as a person. And if you, no matter how much you seek that reassurance from someone, like it's never going to feel like it's true until you believe it yourself. Um, Sorry, my, a lot of my, my tips and everything are more for anxiously attached people because that's what I talk about all the time. Um, no, I think that's really – that advice is really helpful though because I think something that – we got this question, but something that I've thought about too, having been single for a while now, is it, it feels like it might be hard to work towards a secure attachment when you're not actually dating anyone. Yeah. Like if I don't yeah. have someone to trigger my anxious attachment, then like how am I supposed to work on things that trigger my anxious attachment? Totally. And then that's like a perfect one is to just do all the things you love. I think I I remember, Allie, you play like um, sports? <laughs> I, play vo- I play volleyball, yeah. That sounds, that was a really lame way of asking I that really, question, but you play like – I really like sports. That was really funny. Play sports. <laughs> <laughs> but you play with like a team as, as an adult yes. woman, which not everyone does. Like not everyone goes out there and does something like that. And that is a perfect example of something that, you know, gives you pride, gives you a sense of self-identity, gives you a community, which is huge also. And that's something that's perfect for working like when you're single. Yeah, Um, I think that that's something that has been really helpful for me because it has helped me not attach, not no pun intended, not attach so much significance to the reassurance that my partner gives me because I'm getting reassurance from other things. Right. And I know that like even if I'm not getting reassurance from this one thing that like I will have it somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think when people let their dating lives consume them, that's that's a no-go. Like no, no, don't do that. Um and then another thing I I mentioned this, but of course just develop self-compassion, which you can do when you're single 100%. Um a lot of us have like an inner critic inside our head that's like I will I'll look in the mirror and be like, oh, you're so fat or I break something or I like mess something up or I say something dumb in a conversation and I'll just have this little voice in my head that's like, you're an idiot, you're so dumb, blah, 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 blah. There's things like that that you can really work on, start to be like, I'm not dumb. People make mistakes and I'm only human. Self-compassion is a great tool that is also going to help you feel more secure when you get into dating again because even if you do something that like is within your attachment style or you just like is an unhealthy coping mechanism you can be like that's okay I'm only human things happen another great one that you can work on while you're single is with your friends and your family is creating boundaries and um, stating your needs so for especially with family, family, like you have your mom calls you every single day, but you're busy, you have to do your work, whatever. You'd be like, Mom, I can talk from like six to nine, or I can talk from like for like an hour a day, and that's all I can do. I need to do other things. Creating a boundary, great. That's gonna be such a great exercise to do. So when you do get into a relationship, it's easier to be like, Hey, I've been spending the night every night at your place, and I wake up so tired, I don't get home till 2 a.m. I wake up so tired. Um, I need to be home by like 11 PM every night so we can, so I can get sleep and be able to do my work like boundary. Perfect. Um, and also any needs that aren't being met. Maybe you have a friend that's very draining. They take everything from you. You and don't give anything. 
they take everything from you, but don't give anything back. You can be like, hey, I feel like this relationship's a little bit one-sided. You never are there for me when I'm emotionally upset, when I'm always there for you, asking for your needs. Like there's so much that you can do in terms of like needs and boundaries when it comes to friends and family that is perfect for when you're single and not dating. Yeah. Rourke, you've, you've talked about that a lot, right? In terms of like figuring out how to set those boundaries. Oh yeah. 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 And I've, you know, I've had friend breakups and I, you know, and I've, I do have to do that boundary stuff with my mom where she's a big, she's a big perpetrator of the, can you talk text, which makes me think that there's always a crisis, never, never a crisis. And so (laughs) a boundary I have to pretty consistently remind her of is I really need you to preview why you need to talk. Right. You know, because if it's about like what you should order at brunch tomorrow, it doesn't need to be talked about right now. Right. <laughs> That's such a – and how did she respond? It takes consistent reminding. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But she does understand why I say that. She, like, gets it intellectually and I does try her best. But then after a little bit, it falls away and then yeah. we get – and then we do a reminder. <laughs> parents, yeah. parents are great for boundaries because you just have to keep at them because usually parents are the hardest to create boundaries with. Yeah. Well, because they were the ones creating the boundaries for you for so long. Yeah. Like they, they were like the arbiters of the boundaries. And I feel like our parents um, always see us as kids. They're like, your boundary, that's cute. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think that's so true what you said, Kirsty, about like practicing setting mm-hmm. boundaries and having that kind of translate into relationships because a boundary that I have worked on with my mom, which she is now really good at actually, but for a while it was a struggle for us, is that she jumps immediately into problem solving when Mm. sometimes I am just trying to vent. And so I've like had to set a boundary with her of like, I, I need you sometimes to just listen and I will try to do a better job of letting you know when Mm. I'm looking for advice. That is so healthy. And I actually had that conversation with my boyfriend last night because he did the same thing. He's a problem solver. I'm like, sometimes mm-hmm. I just need you to listen. Yeah. And it's helped me in relationships because I've been able to use that same verbiage, like you just said, mm-hmm. to talk to partners and say like, yeah, sometimes I'm just yeah. upset and I, wa- I want to wallow in being upset for a bit and I just need you to sit here and be upset with me. And that's it. Yeah. And I think that if friends and family are such a great baby step to start because at the very least you are very familiar with them, you're comfortable with them, and that's like a little stepping stone to a relationship, setting boundaries in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I want to make sure that we talk about is this like vilification of the avoidant attachment style because we got a lot of people writing in saying like, I'm avoidant or I'm fearful avoidant, which I would love for you to talk about too, because we didn't mention that last week. Um, And like all the stuff I'm reading says that it's terrible. I'll be the first to admit that I was pretty guilty of this when I first started out giving advice about attachment style. Um, Probably one of my most like popular videos on Instagram is kind of vilifying avoidance, which is horrible. And it's I watched a video and I'm going to mention it because honestly, they, they word it so beautifully. Now I don't remember the title, but I know the people that made it. It's called School of Life. School of Life, Avoidant Attachment, and then it's little characters with like fruits for heads. 
great video. It explains Love exactly it. how avoidant, how to connect with an avoidant person and what they're feeling and why it can feel like hard for them. Anyways, it's amazing. I think that what happens with avoidant, well, you mentioned this in the podcast episode before this one, that anxious people tend to be the ones that are like problem solvers. We're the ones that have the most TikTok videos or Instagram videos about how to be more secure. We're the ones that are like reading attached. We're the ones that like are trying to like fix things because we're, you know, trying to cling to love rather than push it away from us. And we, so we, we realize that the avoidant people are the ones opposite from us and make us most triggered. So all of a sudden we're the ones that like, we're like, oh, they're the worst. They're like a villain. What's important to understand with any insecure attachment style is that we're all just very scared. Anxious is scared of losing love. We're scared of fear of abandonment. We're scared of someone hurting us, someone coming into our lives and, you know, not fulfilling our needs. Avoidant people are scared of getting close to love and having it hurt them. We're all just scared. It's a fear-based thing. So if you can see that from a very base level perspective is that we're both operating in a fear level and we're just scared, then you can kind of start to see like, why is it they act certain ways? Why is it that they need space? Why is it that... Um, they pull away. And then another point is that I think that also avoidant people tend to get villainized is because people think that they're automatically just like manipulative. They're manipulative. They're emotionally abusive, yada, yada. And I think that's because emotionally abusive, narcissistic people tend to have an attachment, an avoidant attachment on top of their manipulative, malicious behaviors so someone dates someone who's emotionally abusive, maybe a narcissist, and then they're like, all avoidant people are like this, which is yeah, not that great. totally like checks a, out. Yeah, it's like a correlation does not imply causation situation. Funny, funny how that exactly. works. Yeah, look at you. Um, exactly. So people talk about it as if they are these maliciously mean people, and that's not how it is. At the very end of the at the end of the day. Someone who's just avoidantly attached and, you know, isn't has, doesn't have all these other bad things to them. You know, they're just scared. They're scared of love hurting them. And at the very least, an anxiously attached person can definitely understand that. Yeah. is That seems like it would be a good starting point in order to, if you are an anxiously attached person or a secure person and you're trying to support an avoidant partner in becoming more vulnerable, mm -hmm. it, it, that seems like it could be a good common ground for you to both stand on. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to – I wrote something down. Yeah. So trying to see the similarities between both of you being like, all right, I'm scared. You're scared. You just show it in different ways is exactly what you just said. It's easier to like be able to form a connection with them and be closer to them. And it's always funny. It's like an avoidant person copes by kind of pulling away because they're scared and that makes them feel safe. But then the attached, the anxious person's like, no, we need to feel, we need to be close for us to feel safe. So at the very least, you'd be like, okay, well, we both want to feel safe and ours are a bit different. So let's meet in the middle rather than just the anxious person being like, no, you're totally wrong. Like you're the issue. Yeah. Good Meeting start. in the middle, I think is like such a good way of putting it too, because I think there's a lot of, when I have dated guys who are avoidant and I've tried to talk to them about that and figure out ways that we can meet in the middle. And one 
example I've seen and I can't remember now where I saw it. It was like a TikTok or whatever it was. It might have been an attached at this point. Who knows? But it was figuring out different things that somebody can say to you that you're that are predetermined that will remind you that they're thinking about you, that they care about you. It was like, I think there was like a case study in Attached where there was like a woman whose um, partner was like going to work or busy at work all the time. And there was like a mm-hmm. chart of like things that like he was going to write down to text her throughout the day. Is this sounding mm-hmm. familiar? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. I I love the idea of, especially if you're an anxiously attached person, your partner's away just in general, having a predetermined text that's like, a symbol. It could be a, an emoji, like the I don't know. It could be an inside joke, like a red lobster from um, what's that? That's like the friends, a friends, friends thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a lobster emoji you send each other, and you know, oh, I'm thinking about you. But for the avoidantly attached person, it doesn't have to be something that's like super invasive for you. I love that. That's an, a great example. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of an emoji or like an inside joke, where it like doesn't yeah. even have to be words it could just be like something that you both attach meaning to yeah that's really nice yeah yeah i like that and i'm sure there will be people who will be like well if they didn't actually write something out then how meaningful is it but like uh so not that we have to get into love languages but mine is very much words of affirmation and my boyfriend i've already mentioned this is not good at words and one of the first things i was like let's make a list that you can keep in your phone So when you don't know what to say, you just pull it out and look at it and pick something from it. And there's even like fill in the blanks. I appreciate you when fill in the blank. And I mentioned that on something and people were like, if they meant it, they would think of it. I'm like, that makes me wild. Yeah. I'm like, what are you, what? Some people, some people just really have a hard time verbalizing their thoughts and their feelings just because it was predetermined. Like, first off, nothing we say is really that original. We're all just getting it from somewhere. So, so I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that. And honestly, it's been helpful for us. Like he's gotten better at it. So that's awesome. Yeah. And it probably helps him like form his own words too. eventually, like after like using this list, like I'm sure he's totally. started to like riff on his own. Exactly. It becomes part of his, not vocabulary is the word I'm looking for, but I don't, it, it, yeah, it becomes part of how he speaks. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. The last thing, Kirstie, that I would love to talk to you about is Somebody or a few people asked us about fearful avoidance and and what exactly is that within? Yeah. So fearful avoidant is essentially kind of anxious and dismissive avoidant into one, which is you want to feel close to people. You want that closeness, but it scares you. So you end up pushing everyone away. It kind of a lot of fearful avoidant behaviors are like self-sabotaging. You think like everyone's going to hurt me but you really want love. So you get into this great relationship and then you end up doing all this stuff that just makes the relationship end and the person breaks up with you and you're like, okay, yeah, well that self-fulfilling prophecy, like it happened. Um, Mm. So you want to be close to people, but you push them away. It's kind of, yeah, conflicting. Yeah. Would you categorize that then as, is that what people conceptualize when they say disorganized attachment? There are so many different words for these different attachment styles that sometimes they get me confused. I'm 90% sure that disorganized is just anxious attachment. Oh, oh I, interesting. Did you wait? No, your, your response made me think that I'm, that that was not correct. <laughs> I've, honestly, I've seen so many different words. Yeah. Yeah. I tried yeah, to, we did to, the, 
Oh, we did right. the Helen Poole Heller one. Oh, test. Diane Poole Heller. Yeah. Yes, Diane Poole. I was like, Helen and Heller. That sounds that's weird. Okay. <laughs> um, that, that's right. Thank you. Um, Diane Poole Heller. We did her online quiz and right. it's like a pie chart for secure, anxious, avoidant, mm-hmm. and then disorganized had its own wedge. So I don't know how she was defining it, but I don't know. Jeez. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I there, I go anxious, dismissive, avoidant, fearful, avoidant, and then I'm done. I'm like, they, all the different words are great. Like there's preoccupied and all of that. Oh boy. Um, oh. I'm, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, sounds like a million <laughs> rabbit holes. We could yeah. Go I was going to say we could, this sounds like an internet K hole for later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I love all the different twists and turns this conversation has taken. It's <laughs> turned into one of our longer episodes, but I feel like going to be really, really helpful for people. So yeah. informative. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I hope yes. so. Thank you so much for being here, Kirsty. We would love to hear where can people find you? Where can they find your book? We'll, we'll link all of this stuff um, on our website as well. Yeah. Cool. So I'm on Instagram, which is just words with Kirsty and Kirsty's K-I-R-S-T-I-E. And then Kirsty Taylor on TikTok, but Taylor has two R's at the end. And then my book's on Amazon. It's called What I Wish I Knew About Love by Kirsty Taylor. You can search it there or it's in the link in my bio on Instagram or TikTok. Amazing. Well, well thank you yeah, again. We will make sure to, yeah, we will make sure to link all of that in the show notes and on our website. And yes, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you both. I'm so excited I got to be on your podcast. I've seen so many things about it. We loved it. It was great. We loved yeah. it. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.